0: Good morning, brothers and sisters. Good morning, it has been 50 days since we began this great celebration of Easter, 50 days since our Lord first rose from the dead. And today, 50 days later, we celebrate the Feast of Holy Pentecost, in which, as we heard in the readings, the Holy Spirit was sent down upon the church. It's the Holy Spirit that is the soul of the church. Of course, a body without a soul is dead. So until the Holy Spirit is sent, the church is not fully alive yet. That's why Jesus needed to send us the Spirit. And yet one of the things that our Lord says to the apostles before he ascends into heaven, he says to them, if I do not go, then the Spirit cannot come. I've always been somewhat perplexed by this, and I'm always trying to better understand why he said that. And we know the Spirit was working in him and through him and in the world before he ascended into heaven. So why did he make this specific statement? If I do not go, the Holy Spirit cannot come. So this week I've been contemplating it quite a bit. And then something occurred to me that I had never realized before. I I think I made a connection that helped me understand this better. And it has to do with the filioque. Now, I'm sure you all know exactly what that means, so I don't need to explain. But just in case, for the few of you who may not, filioque is a Latin word or a Latin phrase which means, and the sun. That's it. And the sun. Now, this is actually a very serious and long-ranging issue that the church has had to deal with that phrase to this day is still cause for a break in the church you see in the first few centuries of the church we already had a creed it's called the apostles creed which the same one we pray for the most part so the church has always prayed this is called the apostles creed because it was given to us by the 12 apostles makes sense so the apostles creed that we pray at mass It's the same one Catholics have prayed for 2,000 years. And yet within the first few centuries of the church, there was a debate among the Pope and the bishops that we need to make one small addition to the creed just to kind of tie it all together, to perfect it. And this addition was filioque and the son. Now this sparked such a controversy that it actually caused, or at least was, one of the causes for a break in the church. And to this day, the Eastern Church, many of them, refuse this filioque. They, when they say the creed, they don't say it with the filioque, with the and the son. Now, what is this and the son? What does it have to do with, and where do we say it in the creed? Well, when we say the creed together, I want you to pay attention, because you'll hear this. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, who proceeds from the Father, we say from the Father, and the Son, filioque. We say and the Son, and that was the addition that the church made in a very early council. I don't remember which, maybe the Council of Nicaea. Now she made this addition because she realized the Holy Spirit does not only proceed from the Father, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Son as well. So just for a clarity of our theology, the church added that in, and for 2,000 years we've always said filioque at that part in the creed. But because many of the other Eastern bishops didn't want to accept this and other issues that were going on in the church, it has been a break to this day. They still don't say filioque when they say the creed. They have legitimate bishops and priests and all the sacraments. But this is one of the major issues that has kept us divided for 2,000 years. Now, we know as Catholics, under the Holy Father, that we have the fullness of the faith, and so we believe that the Filioque was the correct addition, and that's why we've said it for 2,000 years. We believe that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. We believe this. We believe this about God's divine nature, and the word "proceed," the reason it's used in our theology is because we're not saying that the Holy Spirit was created or, or that Jesus, the Word, was created by the Father. They're eternal. They're all eternal. They've always been. But in regards to how they relate to one another as divine persons, this is the theology of the Trinity. For example, the Father, the first of the persons of the Trinity, generates the Son. He doesn't create. He eternally generates. That's the word we use theologically. He generates the Son. And the Father and the Son spirate the Spirit. That's why he's called the Holy Spirit. He's the Holy Spiration. So that's where it comes from. Now this spiration, this Holy Spirit, we also use theologically the word proceed. So the third person of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father and the Son. You have to have the Father and the Son to proceed the Spirit. That's why the Father is the first, the Son is the second, and the Holy Spirit is the third. I don't expect you to memorize this, it's just our theology. This is what has been revealed to us about the mystery of our God. It's all done outside of time, it's eternal, but this is how we intellectually articulate it, how we understand it. Now, it makes sense, logically, for any one of us who has any inkling of understanding of love, that in order to have love, you need to at least have two people, right? Without two people, You can't love. There's there's no real love without another person to love. And there's a unique attribute of love that love wants to give itself to the beloved. It wants to give itself away to the one it loves. But it wants the one it loves to give themselves back. Love wants reciprocity. It wants to be loved in return. Everybody who loves knows this. You don't have to be religious. It's not even a point of theology. It it is, but you know, it's just natural reasoning. When you love somebody, you want to give yourself to them and you want them to love you back. That's the nature of love. This makes sense because God who is love, loves just like this. You have the father and the son who eternally give themselves to one another in love. The father pours himself out and to the son son i give you all of me and the son who receives all of this love of the father says father i i love you i give myself totally to you and so each of them are eternally pouring themselves out in love to one another and that eternal love is the holy spirit the holy spirit is the love of the father and the son that love is so perfect it's a person It's the third person of the Trinity. So I've been trying to think of an analogy or an example that you could use to try to picture this. Imagine you have two cups totally full of water, and you want to simultaneously empty each cup into the other, simultaneously. Now, I know that's not possible, but just imagine it if you will. So at the same time, you're pouring the cup in your right hand into your left hand cup, and the cup in your left hand into your right hand cup. Now, will either cup ever be empty? No, because they're constantly filling up the other. Even though one is emptying itself, it's never empty because the other is filling it. This is the love of the Father and the Son. That's who the Holy Spirit is. If you're following me so far, trust me, there's a point to all of this. See that's the way love is. Divine love was designed, created in the world in that way. So we're supposed to love the way God loves. If we loved this way, then love would be easy. It would be easy. Because whenever you're pouring yourself out in love to someone, they're doing the same to you. So you never feel empty. You're always filled up by their love as you're emptying yourself in love for them. That is the design in the world that God made for love. The problem with sin is we don't do that. We don't love others the way we're supposed to, and they don't love us back the way they're supposed to. This is the number one problem. Okay, that's all sin is based on this concept, this idea. So if we all loved the way God is love, then we'd always love easily, and love would never be a burden to us but because of selfishness and sin, one, we don't want to empty ourselves out out of love for somebody else. We don't want to. We wanna be selfish and and hoard it and keep it. The problem is if you do that, if you don't die to yourself, die for love of someone else, empty yourself, then you'll never be happy. You'll never be complete because that's what you were made to do. But in like manner, If you do empty yourself out in love for somebody, but they're not loving you back, then you're still going to suffer because you're empty now. You've loved them. You've got nothing left. It's like you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. This is the problem in this life. And this is the two problems in regards to love that we have to look at in our own lives. Am I failing to love either because I'm afraid to empty myself out. I'm afraid to give of myself for somebody else, sacrifice myself for somebody else. Am I afraid to do that? Well, you can't be happy if you don't love. And love requires self-emptying. Like that cup, you have to pour yourself out for someone else. Your time, your energy, these are all sacrifices you must make in order to love another. You can't be happy without loving someone. But in like manner, even if you do try to pour yourself out, try to love another, they might not love you back. And then you're going to be tempted to stop loving them, right? Because you're always empty. You give and you give and you get nothing in return. So that's another reason we don't want to give. But there's a third reason that we don't always recognize, and it's that, You may, in fact, be trying to love me, but because of my sinfulness, I can't perceive it. Like I'm not aware of it. And so even though I think I'm loving you, I don't feel like you're loving me. And so for that reason, again, I respond with selfishness and sin. All of those are problems in the order of love. All of those are the reasons why we are not happy in our lives. The Holy Spirit is the love of the Father and the Son. That's who he is. He is mutual self-offerings of love. That's why we need him. Without him, we cannot love properly. It's just not possible. We certainly can't love like God. Jesus shows us the way through his life as well as providing us the grace necessary to love like the Holy Spirit, to be that love in the world. But in a sinful world, if we are to love the way God loves, he loves even if his beloved doesn't love him in return, which means you're going to empty yourself out and simply remain empty and die. Yay, Christian life. That is the calling. And our Lord says, don't worry. Do it anyway. After you've died, I'll raise you up. You're like, but I, I don't, I don't want to die. It hurts. The Lord says, I, I know. I've been through it. I loved until the end. We cannot love this sacrificially without the living love of God within us. Without the Holy Spirit, it is not possible. It's just not possible. This is why when we receive the Holy Spirit, not only in baptism, but even more powerfully in confirmation, he gives us his seven gifts. Did you know that Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the power from on high? The power of God. The Holy Spirit is the power of God. When you think of power, right, you can think of money or control over others. God has that. I mean, he doesn't have money. He doesn't need it. But God has power. He can create and destroy. He is all-powerful in that sense, but according to God himself, that's not his greatest power. His greatest power is love. His greatest power is love. And these seven gifts that the Holy Spirit gives are necessary to love. It's very easy for us to look at the gifts of the Holy Spirit, wisdom, knowledge, understanding, counsel, fortitude, piety, and fear of the Lord, and say to ourselves, yeah, but I just don't need those things in life. I could use some money. I could use some, some influence over others, whatever, lots of things you think you need that would help your life. And the Lord is like, no, that's not what you need. You don't need any of those things technically. You need these gifts of the Holy Spirit, which will enable you to love. But what does love look like? What does love look like when it's active, when it's real? This is where St. Paul gives us a very good description that you need to learn. You at least need to remember where it is in the Bible so that you can look it up. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul gives you a clear definition of love love is patient. Are you patient? I'm not saying are you patient enough, that's not what it says, love is always patient, always. Love is kind, are you kind? Love is not jealous, it's not jealous, do you ever get jealous? Love is not pompous, prideful, it doesn't think itself better than others, is that you? Love is not inflated. Again, repetition of the last one. It doesn't think more of its qualities or abilities than is true. Love is not rude. It does not seek its own interests. It's selfless. It seeks the good, the interests of others. It is not quick-tempered. That's probably a big one for a lot of people. Are you quick-tempered? Love isn't. It does not brood over injury. This is a very important one. Do you still hold on to past injuries? Other people committed against you? Do you constantly bring it to mind and bring it up to them? Does it lead you to resentment? Love doesn't do this. Love does not rejoice over wrongdoing. Should be fairly obvious. It rejoices with the truth. Do you rejoice when you hear the truth? Love bears all things, not some things and not most things. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It's not always doubting others, questioning. It hopes all things, all possible goods, love hopes for. Love endures all things. Any suffering, any cross that comes your way, love endures patiently. And lastly, love never fails. If there's any humility in us whatsoever we have to admit that we don't love like this. Not completely, not yet. There's any number of ways in which I do not love to that degree. You have to realize, even though you may have the Holy Spirit through the grace of Jesus Christ and the sacraments, the reason, the reason that you're not loving right way, I mean, God's love is alive in you, is because you can actually limit that love, and you limit it with your own mind and heart. It's your intellect and your will, my intellect and my will, that can actually limit the power of God, the gifts of the Holy Spirit from functioning in certain areas. So how do I fix this? Do I just get on my knees and pray? I mean, yes, please, but that's not enough. First you have to diagnose the problem before you can apply the right medicine. Healing a soul, fixing a soul, is very much like working on a body. You can diagnose it. If you know what love should look like, and you know, because you do it, where you fail, then you say, okay, I am not patient. I'm not patient. At least I'm not patient in these situations. So once you've diagnosed the specific problem, then you go to the gifts of the Holy Spirit and you say, okay, in which of these gifts can I find help, aid? In what area of the gifts of the Spirit do I still need to grow? I mean, probably all of the areas, like me, but try to hone it down to something more precise. What is leading to my impatience in those situations? Usually it's some thought, some belief. About what? You have to understand what you're actually thinking. You have to become cognizant, aware of it. Most of us do not grow in virtue because we don't do the work. We don't take time to seriously diagnose what's going on in our mind and heart. Why am I so selfish and self-centered? I know that I am, but why? Use these lessons to help you figure out, and then first, as is always, bring those sins to confession. What I've noticed in confession is the more precise you can be in regards to your sins, I am impatient when on the road and drivers go slowly and make me late to work. I get very upset, and I'm sorry, Lord. So be precise, because the more precise you can be, the more grace God can give you. The more open you can be to the Spirit's direction and intercession in that moment. It helps you grow far more quickly, and in the end, ultimately, you'll learn to love. And that's an important point. Love is not a feeling. You must learn to love because love is a real person. In fact, three people, we call them God. And they are truth itself. Once you know that truth, what did Jesus tell you? Once you know the truth, the truth will set you free.